Well, good day, everyone. Have you always wanted to be able to live life at your fullest capacity? You know, I remember in 1981, there was a commercial, and yes, I'm dating myself, but there was a commercial from the Army, I believe it was from the United States Army, but I was watching TV, and its main tagline was, Be All That You Can Be. Well, today, I'd like to focus on you, the most faithful of listeners, as I talk about how to be your best self on this second episode of The Vine. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the second episode of the podcast, The Vine. I am your host, Sean McNeeny. Today, like I mentioned in my introduction, we are going to be talking about being your best self. And I want to start off right away. Let's go to Scripture, Luke 2.52. It says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I remember after my first year of Bible college, I went to a Christian camp, which is coincidentally where I met my wife. This was the main scripture because it just showed us how Jesus had to grow in respect with the whole man. Wisdom indicates the soul. Stature refers to the physical body. Favor with God refers to the spirit man. So we are told about the spirit, soul, and body of Jesus here, but why? Because it's how we were created back in Genesis in his likeness. Remember, God chose to relate to us as one God, but in three persons, follows in the Holy Spirit. We are created as a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 tells us, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. Now, we are told in Scripture that we are stewards of ourselves. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises, dear beloved... Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, there is something that we are required to do. And so in this, let's just start off with the flesh. Now, the flesh, this is our body. And it will react negatively to harmful things that we expose to it, whether internally or externally. But to be our best self in our bodies or cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh is probably self-explanatory. Let me give some examples. Probably some good things that we should be focusing on in our life, which I'm probably guilty of this one. Exercise. You know, I have a basically sedentary lifestyle because my job requires me to sit at a desk seven to eight hours a day. However, there was no excuse there because I am in total stewardship of how I treat my body. So I am. I need to take ownership of, of this. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8 tells us, For bodily exercise profits little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So you see, even scripture says physical exercise is profitable. So besides exercising, what can we do? And by the way, when I mean exercise, I mean you don't need to be buff like all these guys in these muscle magazines or like the every athlete. You don't you have to just maintain your body in a good condition. For example, uh, my doctor said, you know, walk 30 minutes a day, five days a week. You know, a brisk walk, not a dog walk, but a brisk walk. Um, let's see here. Eat right. Oh, my gosh, man. Evening snacks are my weakness. Chips and licorice. Oh, dear. This is not good. See, this is not eating right. And because 
the body cannot live on that alone before it starts showing you, uh, this is not good. I need some help here. And it starts screaming out. All of a sudden, you start experiencing some things in the body that you don't like. So to avoid these things, what you do? You eat things that are healthy for you. I know some friends who absolutely hate vegetables. I, they hate the vegetables. They hate eating it. But you know what? We have to have stuff like that because it's what our body, that's what we were created to to thrive on and for fuel. There's protein. You know, there's vegetables, proteins, there's dairy. And sometimes even dairy can be questionable. It uh, can be not good for you. Uh, sleep. We need to have adequate sleep. We need to reduce stress. If you're in a job, you know, I have a management position at a job. And one of the things I had to learn to reduce stress was to allocate, was to, you know, distribute other responsibilities to other people uh, to make my life a lot easier. But in reducing stress, we need to remove any unnecessary stress that we are in control of. And I'll give an example. Um, I used to be a an appraiser, auto body damage appraiser at a body shop. And the job was very stressful. I mean, extremely stressful. Like I was working 10 hours a day on the go, on the go, on the go, on the go. And it was getting to me. It, this job was a result of why I had to start taking blood pressure medication. What I did was I started to apply to jobs in the same field that would reduce that stress. And so I applied for the position that I now have. Well, not that I now have, but I became an appraiser at um, an insurance company which was more relaxed, less stressful, because this work really focuses on life or work-life balance. And so I, in my position, it was a lot less stress. And now, uh, as a manager in this, um, in the same company, there is a stress, but there's a different kind of stress. But all that stress, I'd still, I'm still learning how to reduce the stress within the job that I'm currently in. And it's a process, you know, as I grow. I will mature more in this area and become less stressful. Another area that we can do physically to become our best selves is meditation. You know, Joshua 1.8 is a good scripture verse. Reflecting on God and his word. You know, think on the blessings he has provided you. You know, friends, family, your job, your church. You woke up today on this side of the grass. Time in and of itself, time is a blessing. You know, go hiking in the wilderness or on a trail or go fishing or find some place of tranquility. You know, for me, a beach or a canoe ride down the river. Spend time reading a good book. You know, these are things that we can do um, physically. Now, you have to understand there is a negative side to the flesh as well. That being, when we are born in this world, we are born into this world as sinners. Now, remember, sin is not what you do. It's who you are. Until such a time that you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, where you receive his nature in replacement of the old man or the old nature, which is the fruit of that nature. The adultery, the fornication, the uncleanness, the lasciviousness, the adultery, the witchcraft, the hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, and goes on, murders, drunkenness, reveling. Now this goes on in the world today. And this is opposite of the fruits of the Spirit in the couple of verses before preceding these you know, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, you know, temperance. Those are the fruits of the Spirit that are the character of Christ who dwells within us. And as we walk out our salvation daily, those are the fruits that we will start exhibiting as we mature and grow more into the image of Christ, as the uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you're involved in these things, there is hope. 
His name is Jesus Christ. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, as your substitute on that cross, which we deserve to be there, then what you're doing is you're releasing the guilt and shame of your sinful condition, and you're accepting the forgiveness God offers and the righteousness required to be in right standing with Him. Now, in this state, there is no condemnation. Now, I want to move on to the Spirit. Now, this is that part of you that was created in righteousness and true holiness. I believe Ephesians 4.24 tells us that we are created in righteousness and true holiness. This is where Holy Spirit takes up residence within you and communicates to you. Now, this is not a renovation that takes place. No. As soon as you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, you may not fully comprehend this, but your spiritual condition becomes the same as Adam and Eve's was before the fall and the same spiritual condition of Jesus when he walked the earth. When I say this, I'm not belittling the deity of Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. Please understand me. He is God who came in the flesh. Now, but he came as a man, anointed by the Holy Spirit, as we are. See, he laid down his deity, according to Philippians chapter 2, and came in the likeness of man to be that example to show us how we should be operating in this earth as his church once the work of the cross was complete. If our spirit has been made totally right with God, then what does the Apostle Paul mean when he tells us in 2 Corinthians 7 1, that we need to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, what Paul is saying here in context is this. Once you get born again, you start going to church to hear, hopefully, messages from ministers behind a pulpit who have spent time with God throughout the week where God has given them a message to convey to the respective church family. You may not know this, but not all who stand behind a pulpit are speaking what God once said. And some of them preach from their carnal thinking based on past experiences in religious thinking on what they think God means when interpreting Scripture. Scripture is not up for our interpretation. The Bible is author-based, not reader-based, meaning there is one meaning behind everything written, and it's our job to find out what God is communicating to us, not what we think it means. So this is why we're given the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said in John sixteen fourteen. He said, He will glorify me. Now, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me, and because he, the Holy Spirit, will take from what is mine and will disclose it to you. And that's out of the Amplified Bible. So when ministers teach or preach behind a pulpit out of their carnal minds and not was inspired by God, what happens is there's an incorrect doctrine gets into our thinking and our belief system. Now, what do I mean by incorrect doctrine? For example, have you ever heard from a pulpit, your pulpit? Maybe you have, maybe you not. For example, the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. Specifically, the gift of praying in tongues. Healing is not for today. Jesus is only one of the ways to heaven. Or how about this one? This is very popular in today's day and age. You can still continue to live your sinful lifestyle after you receive Christ, as you did before, because, see, God's grace covers your sins, past, present, and future. That doctrine is from the pit of hell, to put it bluntly. But ironically enough, one of the main ways to cleanse ourselves from this, you know, filthiness of the flesh and spirit, especially the spirit, is by praying in the spirit. Now, I know this from personal experience. Now, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 4. Now, I'll give you a scenario. The disciples approached Jesus asking, what are the signs of the end of the age or the signs of the end of the world? The first thing he says is, watch out that no one deceives you. Deception was the main priority, the main thing that Jesus was getting across because there's going to be many people coming by, you know, stating that, yeah, I'm from this person, I'm from that, or yeah, I'm of God, or 
I'm a preacher, uh, whatever, I'm a pastor, um, but they're really not preaching the Christ of the Bible. And unfortunately, this is what's going on today. Now, why does 2 Corinthians 7.1 not mention anything about the soul? It just says the flesh and spirit. This is why. Because your soul is subject to whatever is on the throne of your life. Now, remember what Paul said in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are on Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So unfortunately, we, the church, we have trained our minds and our bodies at the expense of our spirit. But you notice here in Romans 8.1, there's nothing mentioned about the soul. Like I said, if the flesh is on the throne of your life, you're going to constantly feed the flesh, feed its, feed its desires, because the flesh will always want more. It's never satisfied. And your soul, your thinking, your intellect, your emotions will always gravitate to that. If the spirit man, your spirit, which is full and alive of um, alive with God, and you are you know pressing to God and you're in prayer, then your soul will gravitate to that. Now, think about this. Remember, Jesus was telling a story about the rich man and Lazarus and how they both died. Lazarus was in hell, but sorry, the rich man was in hell, but Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham. When the rich man was in hell, he was burning and his central nervous system, like everything, uh, his will and his emotions knew that he was being tormented and he could feel it. He could sense it. And so that soulless part of him went to where he was at. So your spirit and your soul are constantly connected, even in the afterlife. So then let me wrap up with the spirit in suggesting four ways that you can really improve your spiritual life to the point where you're so in tune with God, you're so intimate with God. And I'm going to give you, these are not necessarily in main order, but I will give them to you in whatever order, and you put them in whatever order you want uh, for your own life. Number one, private worship. Now, worship is... Incredible. Basically, worship baptizes your emotions. <laughs> if you are ever in a pickle or you're fighting, a, especially a spiritual warfare, worship is so key because what worship does. Now, remember, God inhabits the presence of his people. When you start worshiping, the enemy cannot be in the presence of God because God starts inhabiting where you are. And worship really is, to me, the key into the developing a real intimate relationship with the Lord or is the key. But it's, you just tell them how much you love them. You don't even have to have worship music playing in the background. Now, what I do um, sometimes in my own prayer life, um, sorry, when I worship in my prayer life, I don't have music playing in the background. If I do have music, it's just, you know, quiet instrumental music playing in the background while I'm worshiping God. But sometimes I don't even have that playing in the background. I just pour out my heart. I say, Lord, I love you. I worship you. I glorify you. I just thank you so much. I just thank him and I love him just for who he is and what he is, what he's done for me. And so all that thankfulness and, 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 you know, everything about God, just who I love, I just express to him how much I love him. I mean, think of you, if you're a parent listening to this, or maybe uh, you're a child and you express to your parents how much you love them. I mean, isn't it a joy to hear that and receive that from your child? Of course it is. So worship is a, is a key. The other thing that I do now with the reading of the Word of God, I, I, I study. And uh, I study the Word of God. And outside of studying, what I do is I, I also meditate, assimilate, and I confess the Word. So I meditate. Meditate doesn't mean, you know, like the yoga term, meditation. But what it means is to say the same thing, to mutter. 
Now, when it comes to assimilation, assimilation means that I read a book of the Bible over and over and over and over and over. It really um, allows the Holy Spirit to reveal to you actually the revelation that God wants you to receive, whatever that is. You know, God might want you to read uh, the Gospels, you know, 50 times, you know. So then I would just be obedient to that. That's assimilate. Now, the other thing that you can do too, so you've got worship and then you've got the Word. Now I've got confession of the Word because the confession of the Word is so key because what we are doing is when you find the scriptures in the Bible that pertain to whatever it is that you're needing, whatever it is, the answers of God for your life, for your situation, what you're doing is you're, you are confessing those things which be not as though they were. Now, that's faith. And confession really brings that forth. Now, God doesn't need you to do it. It's actually for yourself because the truth gets embedded into your spirit, gets embedded in your mind, and faith starts building because you'll see faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And the more that you're confessing it, the more that it's becoming a reality in your life because faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith, intertwined with your hope, gives substance when you confess. So uh, that's what I love about confession. The One of the main things, too, that I do is is praying in the Spirit. Now, there is a lot of people out there that really are against this, and nowhere in Scripture does uh, it support that these uh, praying in the Spirit is, you know, is done away with. It's not for today. I think it's a bunch of hogwash. And uh, I think people who preach against it from the pulpit, I think they're on thin ice, and I think you better not... Um, Grieve the Holy Spirit, because that's what I think is happening when when they preach these things. And you don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, because there have been a lot of people who preach against this will say that's the work of the devil. And that's what Jesus said was blasphemy. And Jesus said those sinned against the Holy Spirit is something that would not be forgiven. So I would be very careful listening and receiving that kind of teaching. Uh, I would actually be like the Bereans. Take the scripture, take it home to yourself, study it out to see if it be so. And I'm, I'm telling you, you will find it out to be so. And the last thing I would suggest to do is fasting. See, fasting will shut down your flesh. Your flesh will scream and shout and cry. And uh, what it does when you do that, it's actually you start being able to hear the voice of the Lord a lot more clear. Um, so I, I really would consider those four things. Now let me just recap it. So you will worship, private worship, you will, the Word, now the Word would involve meditation, assimilation, confession. And then you have your praying in the Spirit, and then you have your fasting. If you focus on those four things, I'm telling you, this time next year, you will not be the same person. God, you, will, you are allowing the Holy Spirit to make those changes in you that are necessary to bring you to the place of maturity in Christ, to the point where other people will start seeing Christ in you. And that is what we really want the world to see. Amen? Now the soul. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Now our soul consists of our intellect, our mind, our will, and emotions. Now I want to focus more on the mental health here. Now, in talking to a psychiatric nurse, mental illness can be... Um, part of the following. Now, there's probably more than this list I'm going to 
I'm going to name, but there could be more. Um, but list, here's, here's a list of some. Mood disorders, anxiety disorders, schizophrenia, personality disorders, eating disorders, uh, even dementia is in here. Now, I went out to uh, CAMH.ca website for mental health, and I found the following stats. One in five people in any given year experience mental illness. By the age of 40, one in two have or have had mental illness. People age 15 to 24 are more likely to experience mental illness and or substance use disorders. I'll call them addictions as well. 79% of high schoolers indicate moderate to serious level of psychiatric disorders, anxiety and depression. An additional 17% indicate serious levels of psychological distress. Now, men have higher rates of substance use disorders than women, while women have higher rates of mood or anxiety disorders. Mental and physical health are linked. People with mental illness are twice as likely to have a substance use disorder. Similarly, people with substance use disorders are up to three times more likely to have mental illness. 4,000 Canadians a year die by suicide, an average of 11 per day. Now, if you noticed that in those lists that I gave you of those mental illnesses, it doesn't mention anything about suicide. Because usually suicide is an underlying fruit of those aforementioned mental illnesses. In Ontario, 4% of adults and 14% of high schoolers report having seriously contemplated suicide in the last year. 4% of high schoolers have attempted suicide. 75 involve men. Well, 75% involve men. But women attempt suicide three to four times more often, more than half involved people age 45 and older. So men have higher suicides, but women attempt them more. But women just aren't as successful. Now, why do I bring this up? Because I personally, part of my testimony, if you listened to the last episode, was that I came to know the Lord through attempted suicide. And it doesn't take a doctor to tell you that these mental illnesses would be considered as filthiness of the soul. However, I personally believe that a lot of these results, a lot of these reasons, I'll call them fruits, they result from physical or chemical imbalances in the brain. They could result from past hurts or abuse. Now, usually the abuse happens, always involves an abusive father or a lack of a healthy father figure in the home. And what happens is when all these things happen, it opens the door for demonic activity to come in. Basically piggyback and cause more problems for the person involved. Now, I come from a background of experiencing depression, or which is a mood disorder, which led me to try to commit suicide twice. But guess what? A lot of the depression that I had to deal with was because of a life of rejection from a father in the home who had substance abuse disorders. So let's just call them for what they really are. They're addictions. And guess what? It's still sin. The root of it is all sin. So after trying to commit suicide twice, I was given medication to cope with the depression. Shortly after I tried to commit suicide, I got born again. Now remember, Jesus died for the whole person. And we have access to healing of our spirits, souls, and our bodies. So then there's plenty of scripture to support this. But look what Isaiah 26.3 says. I'm going to read this. This is out of the Amplified Bible. You will keep in perfect and constant peace the one whose mind is steadfast, that is committed and focused on you, in both inclination and character, 
because he trusts and takes refuge in you with hope and confident expectation. See, the Hebrew and Greek words for salvation give the ideas of healing, deliverance, prosperity, safety, and a sound mind. Do you not think a sound mind is an ever-important thing in our society? Of course it is. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A lot of these mental illnesses has its root in anxiety, which is a form of fear. Fear is the, what this kingdom of Satan is built on. To me, it's a spiritual problem which must be handled spiritually. Now, when I was in the psych ward at the hospital after I tried to commit suicide, the doctors and the nurses blessed their hearts. They did what you know, they knew was best to help me cope with the depression and resulting addictions that I had. Their motivation was absolutely pure, but from a natural perspective. So, however, God does not want us just to cope with the stuff. Jesus died so it can be eradicated. So while I was walking out my own salvation, I did not stop taking my medication. See, God met me where my faith was at. Throughout the same time that I was taking my medication, I was, what? I was going to church. I was praying in the Spirit. I was fasting. I was studying and meditating on the Scriptures. I was confessing the Word of God over my life. See, it's like a cut on your skin. Healing takes a while and produces a scab, which is a constant reminder of the hurt that you've experienced on your skin. But eventually, a scab falls off and your skin is healed. See, for me, the result is I no longer have to take medication for depression because God got rid of it for me as I appropriated his promises into my life. So I tell you, if you are in the same boat as I was, keep taking your medication at the advice of your doctor while at the same time keep pressing into God. His word never returns void. It accomplishes the very thing that it was sent out to do, to total freedom in spirit, soul, and body. Hallelujah. That is a big amen. I want to thank you for taking your time out to listen to this. I love you and I appreciate you. I just really hope that you are blessed from this. Until next time, I'll see you here, there, or in the air.